Good morning. We're going to continue our study in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, he prophesied uh, in the middle of the 8th century B.C., 750 or so. Uh, Jonah was a Hebrew, an Israelite, and he was given a mission by God uh, to go preach uh, to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of uh, Assyria. Assyria was a great empire. Uh, it was a vicious uh, group of people. Uh, as they captured uh, various countries and cities, uh, they would destroy the cities, uh, kill many of the people. And in Israel's case, later, uh, when Assyria took over Israel, uh, they took a lot of the Israelites as exiles uh, back to the capital city of uh, Nineveh. And they moved other people into the northern kingdom so that you get the uh, uh, Samaritans. You remember in Jesus' day, there was great hostility toward the Samaritans. Well, that's a result of uh, the Assyrians capturing Israel, uh, moving other people into the area. So the Jews began thinking uh, of the Samaritans as half-breeds. Uh, but that's getting ahead of our story. Uh, Jonah, a prophet, uh, was called by God to go to Nineveh, some uh, 600 miles east of uh, where he was. Uh, Jonah responded by uh, going the opposite way. Uh, Jonah went to uh, Joppa uh, and bought a ticket to Tarshish and uh, got on a ship with a bunch of sailors uh, headed in the opposite direction. Uh, a great storm came to the sea at that point, and we're told God hurled a great wind uh, at the sea. Jonah, in the meantime, has gone down uh, into the hole of the ship and gone to sleep, and the storm is raging, the sailors are scared, and at some point the sailors decide that something is going on there greater than just a storm, and so they decide they're going to cast lots to see who's responsible for this. And uh, I want to read from uh, the first chapter, beginning with verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all the trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? So, a couple of things. Uh, I want to... First of all, talk about identity kinds of issues. Uh, somehow the sailors concluded that somebody's God might be responsible for this, and uh, Jonah was a stranger. Uh, nobody really knew him, so they began asking questions. Uh, what's your mission? Where are you from? Who are your people? And so forth. Uh, and th those are kind of common questions uh, that we might ask about somebody. Uh, I've often asked people, where are you from? Or they ask me, where are you from? Because 
some people claim I have an accent, which I'm sure is their problem. It's not, it's not mine. Uh, where are you from? Well, I'm from Texas, and they began asking Jonah. Not only that, uh, where are you from, but whose are you? Uh, in other words, is there some God that you identify with? And uh, in that day and time, it was very common. There were many gods uh, among the Greeks and the Romans, and uh, we know the Greek god Mercury was the god of commerce, and uh, Venus was the goddess of beauty. Uh, Nike was the god of athletics and so forth. So uh, these sailors had begun believing that there was a god uh, responsible for this. And uh, so uh, they asked Jonah and he begins to tell them who he is. What's interesting is that the first thing Jonah replies is, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, that was the last thing that they had asked him, but the first thing that he replied to. Uh, because uh, ethnicity or racial uh, participation is often uh, one of the driving forces in, in people's lives. Uh, everybody gets identity from some of the things they do or some of the things that they have said or their race or their language or so forth. Uh, Christians uh, ought to say, uh, who's, when someone asks us, whose are you? Uh, say, I belong to the God who created heaven and earth. We're created in his image. Uh, that ought to be one of the main things that defines us. Uh, but too often, uh, we're like Archie Bunker, uh, who said, uh, certainly, I'm a Christian. I'm an American, ain't I? Uh, so often, people's national or ethnic identity uh, becomes one of the primary things in their lives, which is really uh, unfortunate. Uh, we do that, say, well, of course I'm a Lutheran. I'm Norwegian, aren't I? Of course I'm a Catholic. I'm Spanish. And so we often let uh, other issues besides our faith in God uh, determine who we are. And so Jonah... Uh, I think the thing on his mind, most of all, was I'm a Hebrew, and I don't want to go preach to those pagans uh, in Nineveh, and I don't want to uh, have anything to do with these sailors, but uh, they picked me out, or God picked him out on the, on the, when they drew lots for him, or drew straws, I don't know what they were doing. Uh, it's, it's not healthy, and I want to say that most of us have seen... Uh, the ugly side of racism uh, during our lifetime. Uh, I think having a, our primary identity uh, connected to our race or to our color or to our culture uh, is really a terrible sin against God. Uh, it's hideous in Christians whose faith has not penetrated beyond racism or nationalism. Uh, racism blocks the development of our Christian character. Uh, you may believe that God uh, sent Jesus to die for your sins, but you find most of your significance in something else. Uh, shallow Christians explains why many can be racist and greedy and materialistic and are addicted to beauty or other things. 
sometimes we uh, have an identity, or some have called it self-esteem. Sometimes we have self-esteem that is kind of low, not feel good about ourselves. And so that blinds us uh, to some of the things in our own life. Uh, here's Jonah, a prophet of God with a privileged position. And every turn, he seems to be bigoted and foolish and self-absorbed. Jonah seems to be blind to his own flaws. And uh, I think I've said before that uh, I can pick out flaws in other people's lives uh, better than I can in my own life. Uh, so I'm a, as someone said, I can be a fruit inspector uh, and tell other people what they need to know and still be blind to my own issues. Uh, reminded of Simon Peter, uh, who had a kind of a self-inflated ego uh, in the certain parts of the New Testament as he followed Jesus. Uh, Peter knew he was close to Jesus. Jesus had told him, uh, you're going to change your name uh, to, to Peter, a rock. Uh, and the only thing that turned out to be rocky at first was Peter's uh, head. But uh, anyway, Jesus began telling his disciples one day that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, uh, that he would be arrested and put to death. And uh, he said to the disciples, and you guys uh, will all flee. And Peter stepped up and said, no way, Lord. Uh, you know me. Uh, I'm going to be behind you all the way. If everybody else uh, forsakes you, uh, I'm going to be here. So Peter uh, was blind to some of the faults in his own life. And uh, as we know, when Jesus was arrested that night, uh, Peter denied him three times and uh, discovered uh, the hard way that he wasn't as strong in his faith and commitment as he claimed to be. Uh, in fact, Jesus had to reaffirm Peter uh, after the resurrection on the seashore when he asked Peter three times, uh, Simon, do, do you love me? And uh, I think with great pathos in his voice, Peter had to say, yes, Lord, uh, you, know, you know that I love you. So uh, a lack of self-esteem causes us to overlook some of the issues in our own life. And the other thing that happens is uh, we become uh, hostile toward other groups of people or other types of people. Uh, we see them as being inferior uh, to, who, to who, who we are and what we are. Uh, Peter and Jonah were both blind uh, to their flaws and uh, it was very obvious that Jonah did not like uh, having to do with anybody outside of the Jewish race. So we dehumanize people by putting them uh, in categories. And uh, we can say, and, and I grew up with racism, and general statements were often made about, uh, well, you know those people, you know who they are, you know what they're going to do, and... Uh, we had no respect for them, and all of that was very dehumanizing. Uh, sometimes I read the letters to the editor in the morning paper. I never cease to be amazed at how many people are guilty of what we call othering. Uh, they put other people in categories, sometimes broad categories. Uh, 
somebody's always writing about uh, the left is doing this, or the left believes that, or the right is characteristic this way, and uh, talking about the right or left, and religious right, and uh, white evangelicals, and just last week I read in the paper somebody talking about the religious left, and the religious left, uh, this person was referring to uh, the new African-American senator from Georgia, uh, who's pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, and uh, because that church has been known for its stance on civil rights and so forth, uh, he was he was uh, typoed uh, as uh, religious left. So I get upset with all of those categories. Uh, I say, well, well, what about me? I'm not this. I'm not that. Uh, I begin to say, hey, I don't belong to the left or the right. I'm a radical moderate. And uh, that usually stops that conversation that we're having because they have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, in some ways, I'm kind of happy to be in, in moderation uh, on a lot of things and feel strongly about some of those things. So uh, we don't want to identify large groups of people uh, with one category. Several years ago, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. for six-month sabbatical, and uh, I was associated with the Columbia Baptist Church in Falls Church, Virginia, which is a wonderful church. And uh, I met a lot of different kind of Baptists all in the same church. Uh, for example, there was Strom Thurmond and his family uh, were members of that church. Uh, there were people from the Pentagon. Uh, I met a general who was in charge of strategic nuclear planning. I met the right-to-work folks uh, who were upset about some things. I met people from the Baptist uh, Joint Committee on Religious Liberty. Uh, in the community next door, uh, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, Al Gore and his family were members of a Baptist church. So it's just, you just can't say, well, you know how those Baptists are. Well, you may know how some of them are, but you can't put all Baptists in the same category. Uh, to put all Baptists in one category uh, was a grave uh, injustice, I think. We need to be more specific about that. So they've identified Jonah, uh, asked him what to do. And uh, he says, beginning in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So, once they had identified the culprit, in this case Jonah, uh, who was responsible for the storm, and he said, you've got to hurl me into the sea, uh, 
kind of interesting. Is he repenting uh, of uh, his rebellion against God, or is he uh, rebelling against by saying, uh, I'd rather die uh, than have to go to Nineveh and preach to those people? Uh, He just says, yeah, throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. Thankfully, he's finally taking some responsibility for his action and for the action of others. Uh, They've treated him respectfully, and uh, even when identified as being the one who was the problem, uh, they didn't just immediately throw him overboard, but they tried their best to get the ship back uh, to land, uh, unable to do so, and finally came to the conclusion that, yeah, they're going to have to, as a last resort, toss Jonah uh, overboard. Uh, I don't know by saying this, was Jonah finally having some compassion upon these uh, sailors and the circumstances they were in? Uh, was he saying to them, or in his thinking, uh, you're dying for me, uh, but I should be dying for you. Uh, I'm one with whom God is angry. So they do their best, but finally uh, toss him overboard. According to Timothy Keller, uh, this is an example of sacrificial love or substitutionary love. Jonah would not have described it that way, but he's willing to take the power of waves in order to save the lives of others. It's a type of love that requires sacrifice. Uh, In thinking about this, I often thought about the sacrifices uh, that parents make uh, for their children. Parents who who love their children, just think how much they often give up of their time, their money, their energy, uh, their focus, uh, substituting the needs of the children uh, for their own needs and hoping that the children will grow up to be uh, responsible adults. So we should not be surprised that when God came into the world in Jesus Christ, he loved us like that. Uh, This type of love is transformative. Because the greatest example is God's love revealed in Jesus on the cross in our place. Jesus uh, was certainly aware of the parable of the story of Jonah and the great fish. And in Matthew, Jesus said, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Of course, Jesus meant that Jonah, volunteering to be thrown into the sea to save the sailors, uh, he would die for his own sins, but Jesus took the weight of our sins as our substitute. Uh, In Mark 10, Jesus said, in the same way the Son of Man did not come to be served, he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus died on our place. So, the moment they tossed Jonah into the sea, the raging sea grew calm, uh, and some people have said, well, the anger or the wrath of God was satisfied uh, when they threw Jonah into the sea. Uh, I know people who don't like to talk about the wrath of God or the anger of God, Uh, that somehow belittles God in their mind. But uh, the scripture says uh, in Romans 3, God sent him to die in our place 
to take away our sins. We received forgiveness through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. This shows that God always does what is right and fair as in the past when he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. A theological word, Jesus' death, was called a propitiation for our sins. In other words, his death appeased God's punishment for sin. Christ stood in our place and bore the punishment that we deserve. Uh, So we need to understand that God's wrath is a a part of who he is, and it's one of his characteristics. Uh, uh, Denying God's wrath robs us of a full view of God's holiness and justice. And so we can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sins. The impact of all of this made a profound impression on the sailors. As soon as the sea stopped, uh, it says the sailors uh, became afraid. They were fearful and they worshipped Jonah's God. They made sacrifices to him. Uh, They pledged vows uh, to this God. psalmist tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and saving knowledge and so these sailors were moved uh, when they saw the power of Jonah's God and began to worship him. Uh, We'll talk about this later but the question is were they converted? Uh, We don't know. We just have a picture of a certain time and place. Uh, We don't know what happened to those men later did they follow through on worshiping Jonah's God? Did they, were they circumcised to become Jewish? What We don't know. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we finally get Jonah into Nineveh. So how ironic the story is. Jonah was fleeing God because he did not want to go and show God's truth to wicked pagans. But that's exactly what he ended up doing in this chapter. Jonah's anti-missionary activity has ironically resulted in the conversion of non-Israelites. And so as soon as Jonah hits the water, the Lord saved him. Uh, In verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, As I said to my Bible study class Sunday morning, Uh, God's going to leave Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. I'm going to leave him there for a week until we come back uh, next week and pick up our story. So, as you go, go in the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the fellowship of his spirit. Amen.